Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast on a fairly momentous day in the city, thanks to the Bank of England. Uh, hiking rates by 0.25 basis points this afternoon, um, sending the interest rate to 1%, highest for 13 years, although obviously historically low at uh, at any kind of historic standard. Um, other corporate news around and about, some on this side of the Atlantic, some on the other side. Shell joining BP in announcing bumper first quarter profits. Uh, Shell made $7.3 billion in the first three months of the year. That's nearly triple what it announced last year. Of course, that's driven by extremely high energy prices right now across the world, as well as demand still being significantly high. We haven't yet seen that demand destruction. Uh, and on the other side of the pond, Elon Musk finally putting some meat on the bones of his Twitter purchase, actually lined up investors uh, to help with the purchase of Twitter, around £5 billion worth of commitments. Biggest one made by Oracle's uh, chief, as well as Mr. Musk's friend. And then other bits and pieces around there, including investments from Sequoia Capital and interestingly, Binance, the cryptocurrency firm. Um, All of that somewhat paling in comparison to the big economic news of the day, it has to be said. Um, Jack Barnett is here with me, our economics and markets correspondent here at CTM. Jack, you were at the bank this morning. Um, Just talk us through, before we get to the details, talk us through the choreography of what it's like being a hack at the bank on on decision day uh it's pretty um uncomfortable i think it's probably it's probably the word to use um everyone's kind of thrown into what can be described as a pen i think maybe um into a room you're locked away uh your phones are taken away from you um and then obviously you're given the the uh the crucial documents which uh ahead of time when they're announced at, at, at midday um, everyone then frantically scrambles through the big report um, and then typically finds out the top line, one of which I'm sure we're going to touch on in a second. Yeah. Um, everyone then frantically writes up their stories and then at midday the countdown comes down and given access to the to the Wi-Fi and then everyone publishes their story. Uh, and then we all trundle up to uh, the conference room. We listen to the governor um, deliver his remarks and then um, each respective journalist is, is given in turn to, to grill the governor. So it's quite a... It's, there's a lot of pageantry to the day, um, but nonetheless, it's obviously a very it's an important event, which only comes around every quarter as well. So, indeed, um, right. Well, let's touch on um, those conclusions. Actually, so I've sort of included that the interest rate uh, hike is one thing. Hmm. Let's just do that quickly before we move on to other economic forecasts. Um, markets pretty much priced that in, right? Yeah, so we had a 25 basis point hike. It's now 1%. Um, as you said, it's not been there since around about 2009 or so. Um, it's the fourth meeting in a row the bank has hiked interest rates. Um, it hasn't done that since it was give, given independence uh, 25 years ago. So just on that measure, that probably indicates us how concerned the bank is about inflation. But as you also pointed out, um, interest rates are historically extremely low mm-hmm. um, compared to you know, over the last 100 years or so. So it's, yeah, it's obviously a historic um, move, but in the context of things, it's not yeah. going to do a great deal. For sure. In real world, obviously, that interest rate with inflation running as, as high as it is, is is really a question about how much your mortgage is going to cost. But more importantly, if you're a saver, mm. not ideal news, although your interest rate goes up. So it's better than it was a couple of days ago. Um, inflation's still far outpacing um, the rate. Um, let's talk about inflation. Because the bank has been consistently, I think it's fair to say, dovish mm. in its projections for inflation going back to the middle of last year, really, when some of these inflationary pressures started to be felt in the UK economy. 
a slight change in tone over recent months and a very strong, strident change in tone today. It felt almost apocalyptic the way the bank was talking about uh, inflation um, over the next few months. Just talk us through those forecasts because they're at once sort of exactly what we expected, but also somehow worse than we feared. Yeah, so um, the bank has now got inflation peaking at just a shade over 10% uh, in October largely driven by a further upgrading uh, in Ofgem's price cap um, of 40% in October. It wasn't, you know, it was only a few months back that the bank was expecting inflation to peak at about 5% or so. So mm. that is also, it's an indication of A, how much of a change of tone the bank has had towards inflation and also just how, how badly they got their forecast wrong, um, which they have been doing kind of since the start of the pandemic. Um, now, off the back of that inflation um, peak, with more damning figures about living standards. Now, if you can remember, Kosh, from about sort of February time, the bank was the first big institution to be warning about how much living standards would fall this year before the OBR did it and before the IMF mm. did it. Um, so this year, they've got living standards falling on their measure. Now, you can take various different measures, but on their measure, they've got it at the second quickest fall um, on, since records began in the mid-1960s. That's mainly been driven by high energy, energy prices, just squeezing people's um, budgets and wages, just not keeping pace with that expected inflation peak. Um, and then that, off the back of that, well, I'm sure you obviously want to touch on the fact mm. of the, the wider, what does that mean for the macro picture? Well, the, I think the thing now you can kind of discern from what the bank is saying is that a recession next year is pretty much nailed on. Yeah. Um, the bank has got, the economy next year shrinking 0.25%. Um, and in the first three quarters of the year, based on their projections, the economy is likely to shrink on an annualised quarterly basis. I know that's quite wonkish, but it's quite, you do need to make a distinction mm. between that, between because the, you know, you're getting into definitions about what a recession is, but for the economy to shrink by 2.5% across the whole of next year, it seems pretty likely that we're going to have a recession at some point. Yeah. Um, that is mainly just being driven by the fact that, that living standards are falling so steeply, inflation is so high, households are likely to respond by cutting spending or saving more as they're exercising greater caution. The UK economy is very, very reliant on people spending mm. money. If that falls back, growth then tips back into negative territory. It's interesting, there was a, obviously just worth pointing out, technical recession is, is two quarters in a row of negative growth, um, at least officially, although recessions tend to be felt a lot sooner in terms of people's pockets and living standards than they necessarily show up on the spreadsheet. Mm. Um, there is an argument, I know it's been made by Rupert Harrison today, who's now at BlackRock, but was formerly George Osborne's sort of chief economic advisor and chair of the Economic Council of Advisors or Council of Economic Advisors, I forget what it's called, um, that the labour market isn't as tight in the UK as it is elsewhere. And therefore, when supply comes back, inflation will naturally fall back away combination of demand destruction as well as as well as that supply chain sort of catch up i suppose mm. and that therefore what the bank is doing is choking off the recovery i think that's probably not a view that i share but it is true that there's a question of how much headroom they've got right because although the mandate of the bank is two percent inflation two percent inflation two percent inflation there is a corollary on the end of that which is in a way that supports growth mm. and I guess, I mean, you asked the governor today and, and it, it didn't sound like they were playing ball and looking into the crystal ball and coming up with the answer you wanted. But there is a question about how much headroom they have got on rates. Yeah, very much so. It's quite, when they put out their forecast, they do, do two different assumptions, one of which is the market implied interest rate path and then 
the path which um, what existing interest rates now and on the market path, that's where you've got all these really, really gloomy statistics where it looks like we're heading for a recession. Um, but there is a gap of about 1.25 percentage points between that path and the existing rate. Now, the question that we asked them was that how, how much room does the Bank of England have to hike interest rates to get on top of inflation without tipping the economy into this, into this slump um, that it's forecasting? Well, I think the thing to know is that most people um, in the city are expecting more rate hikes. Mm. Um, the forward guidance today was was a little bit more hawkish than what people were expecting. So you can probably penetrate in at least one or two more rate hikes for the Bank of England, maybe taking it to 1.5% by the end of the year. Now, the difference between that market-implied interest rate curve and the 1% curve, the 1.5% is, is pretty much in the middle of that, yeah. maybe give or take. So. The, imbe- the the inference from that is that the bank, the sort of cost of getting inflation down to the bank is a recession. And they seem to be quite happy to say, listen, how st- in order to shake this in- inflation crunch mm. out of the economy, households are unfortunately going to have to absorb some short-term pain for longer-term gain. And that's going to come in the form of higher interest rates and higher prices. It's a fascinating little parlour game to play and trying to work out what's going on in the MPC room. What we do know is that the MPC is, is slightly split, not in the way that it traditionally is between rate rise and hold, but actually rate rise to what we had saw today and a more drastic rate rise. Yeah, so we had a 6-3 split on the MPC, um, six voting in favour of the 25 basis point hike, which is obviously what we've got, um, including the governor, um, Andrew Bailey. And then we had three dissenters who actually voted for double that, so 50 basis points, which would have followed in the same... Um, direction is the Fed last night who hikes basis points, um, rates by 50 basis points as well. So um, I think you can take that as an indication that there is there is a, not a mutiny as such on, mm. on the NBC, but there are definitely murmurs beginning to emerge that, you know, we need to be going steeper and faster. Um, but at the moment, it looks as if they're going to be moving in 25 basis yeah. point increments. Well, a wise man once said, by which I mean you, that if they move too slowly on interest rates at the start of an inflationary cycle, um, you end up being forced to move further than you might necessarily have wanted to. I think it's fair to say we might be might be seeing that now. It's you know it's it's staring into the runes, and of course nobody could have predicted. Well, no one could have seriously predicted. You could have sort of forecasted for it, but nobody could have seriously predicted Vladimir Putin's invasion of mm. Ukraine, which has made life significantly more challenging for um, for the global economy. Um, but yeah, maybe a rate rise October, November last year. Maybe that starts to cut this off at the pass, but that hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, Jarrett, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, thanks for giving us your insight of what it's like at Threadneedle Street on, on Decision Day. Um, and that's all from us at the City AM podcast and all from me for this week at the City View. Tomorrow you'll be joined by Nassim De Silva, Charlie Conchi and Lily Russell-Jones for our tech podcast. Joined by none other than the former health secretary and now crypto evangelist, Matt Hancock. It makes for a very interesting listen, I can assure you. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. That's all from me. We'll see you next week. <laughs>